This, my friends, is my freeze ray, which, with the addition of the wonderflonium I obtained at my famously successful heist last week, I say successful in that I achieved my objective, it was less successful in that I inadvertently introduced my arch nemesis to the girl of my dreams, and now he's taking her out on dates, and they're probably going to French kiss or something. Called him sweet. How is he sweet? Hello, listening people. Hello. Hi, Bartek. How are you? I'm good, Ryan. How are you? I am doing uh, foolishly. <laughs> uh, that's how I'm doing because this, this, this you're is being tech- a, you're being a fool in this autumnal month of April. For us, it's an autumnal month. For other people in the world, it's a spring. For the fake countries in the world, yes. <laughs> for, for the fake hemisphere. If you want to hear our thoughts and our takes. On the producers, we already did that. You can listen to that, because that's springtime for Hitler, mm-hmm. famously. But we're here today, Bartek, to be spitting and Polish, of course. Isn't how, that right? How about slurping up and dirtying? Because we're April Fools. Ooh, and we're Russian secretly. That's the twist. It's like you thought Slowinski and Bartek were Polish names. No. Oh, I thought we were Czech. Oh, oh that's it. We're Czech. Those <laughs> good. What you described Czech as sounds like what was it dumb Polish? Oh, I nice no, silly Polish. Silly that should make the Czechs feel better listening. Oh no, he said dumb, but he actually said silly, so that makes me feel well, better about well, my look, own language. Well, look, to I'll give a sincere message to all the Czechs listening. Get over it. Check, please. (laughs) But no, in all seriousness, we're here doing our show Pictures Powwow, in which we talk about a uh, movie that came recommended. I recommended the film as it is my turn to select. Next episode will be The Listening Peoples, and then the one after that will be you again, Bartek. And I picked uh, a project that uh, did not fit a category on the podcast that we do on this show we used to have three shows primarily at one point in time but we've only just been doing this because life people you know what's happening in the world and the virus uh, oh no i meant the war um (laughs) no 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 just life's been hectic right so we're doing dr horrible's sing-along blog which was an internet project series film Thing. I think we can call it a web show. A web show that was released in 2008, if I am not mistaken. Mm-hmm. Uh, and this isn't a film per se in the way that we usually on this show, Pictures mm-hmm. Power, we talk about films. On television event, we talk about TV shows. And on Mystery Box, we talk about random things that we don't know. That, that honestly, if none of us knew what this was and was put in the Mystery Box, yeah. it would actually be put... But I do know what this is, and it's too good for the Mystery Box. <laughs> so... This is a weird one where I feel as if I've broken the rules because this is an internet thing that was broken up into three parts and released in three parts uh, because the creators of this were wanting to create something during the uh, infamous writer's strike mm-hmm. in 2007 2008 period of time that affected so much in the industry there's so many projects that never got made so many TV shows and movies that were altered. Uh, such as Scrubs. Did you ever watch Scrubs? No. 
there was a season, I do believe, of Scrubs that was written by non-union writers or people who didn't write for the show, and people love or hate that season. There's an actual episode in, in there that I actually like, in which one of the main characters retires, and you kind of get a flashback of what their life was and how they became who they are, and I actually like that. Um, people don't like that. I actually like that episode, but that's a, a point that we can put to the side for the moment. So we're doing Dr. Horrible's sing-along blog, which is a movie, but it's also a web series. It's also an Emmy award-winning miniseries. Which an Emmy is for TV shows. Which is for TV shows, and it's in magazines. It's like the best TV show, that, and it's not a TV show because it's an internet thing. But let's barrel forward. Bartek, what is your uh, uh, journey, history, and experience with Dr. Horrible's sing-along blog? I definitely heard of it at the time. It would have been yeah, 2008 or 2009 that I'd heard of it. Um, if we dial back to an episode we did last year, it was the episode on Brick. Mm-hmm. I mentioned that I watched that film in my either year nine or year 10 media class at mm-hmm. uh, my school. Um, and in that exact same class, the teacher, um, he had written a review for Dr. Horrible's sing-along blog. Okay. And, um... It was because we were all going to be doing like a, you know, writing a review for a film. And so the example that he showed us of one that he made was for Dr. Horrible's sing-along blog. And I do rem- I don't remember too mu- many details about that review, but I did remember hearing the detail of like, oh, this is a, a web show that's been mm-hmm. uploaded online. It's not a movie or a TV show or anything like that. Um, it stars Neil Patrick Harris. It is a... It sounded like a comedy musical to me, and it's just always in the bin in the back of my head of like, oh, that's the thing that Mr. Perry wrote a review on. That was like <laughs> a web show or something like that. Yeah, I remember very vividly going to my sister's uh, place when my sister had moved out of home, was in university, was living up in a, a town different to ours that's like three and a half hours away. We went to go visit my sister, and they had on their computer this they had dr horrible and it was broken up into the three separate parts Mm -hmm. and they wanted to show us this and this was in the early days in which we were just watching random things on the internet remember those days where it's like oh yeah uh charlie the unicorn and fred and and the annoying orange and and then red versus blue and there was all these the early web shows or web video shows yeah yeah. the the where yeah uh, or uploading of Real shows, but minus the context. Like, when I grew up, Old Greg, which is from the Mighty Boosh, mm. was an internet phenomenon. Yeah, but I People was... rarely remember back then, they didn't even know. I didn't know for the longest time that it was from a television show. Same here. Because it was yeah. so internet-y. I've, I was visiting a friend, he's like, oh, do you know Old Greg? And he showed me it. I'm like, oh, okay, this is like a weird internet video. And, no. And then later on, there was a show called The Mighty Boosh, and yeah. that's what it was from. And it was a part of an episode. <laughs> yeah. Uh, <laughs> Yeah, so there would be that, or weird animations such as salad fingers, mm. and so we would be seeing all of these things, and my sister was very keen on this because they're a big Buffy fan, Buffy the Vampire Slayer, and we also enjoyed Firefly, which is relevant because the lead actor in Firefly plays Captain Hammer in this mm-hmm. uh, Nathan Fillion. Yep. And so we were all a bit excited, and we also like musicals, so we've covered a few on the show at this point, and I like music, and so we sat down to watch it on my sister's bed on her computer over there, and we sat and watched it and went to the next part and went to the next part, and thoroughly enjoyed it. I remember having tears in my eyes laughing at certain jokes in this. It was mm. such a refreshing thing, and... 
I, I can't wait to get your perspective on internet media uh, 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 as well in terms of, I remember so viscerally thinking to myself, you can do this on the internet? Like, you can upload something of this production quality, like, of this level of quality mm. with real actors, and you could do that? Yeah, it's it's very much that whole mentality of, like, hey, if someone can, you know, make a movie with a super low budget that looks like this, you know, why can't you? Yeah, and but very much for back then, I didn't really, I didn't, it was so weird to think that something like this, which you could see being a a real TV or even expanded out to a real movie thing, idea and, and, and people behind it and the quality of it, that can be on the internet? That was such a strange thing to me because mm. I was so used to things like uh, Red versus Blue where they took a pre-existing thing and they created something out of yeah, it themselves. Yeah, like or, the machinima style. Yeah, yeah, or Fred where it was like some guy and he sped up his voice and he wrote some weird dark yeah, shit in there. The- I was so used to internet creation being that and so the idea that you could actually make a story with characters with beginning middles and end with an actual production and a musical and all of this stuff was so abstract to me at the time and it blew my mind it blew my mind that you could do this honestly um what do you think about that whole entire thing and did you have anything like that back in the day when you were watching things on the internet where you had that kind of one thing that really woke something to you about what one could actually do on the internet um well definitely my understanding of you know, like internet produced content, you know, in the mid 2000s would have been more along the lines of like, hey, there are people that make like, you know, comedy animations. Like, mm-hmm. I typically group it under like the new ground stuff. Yeah. Uh, that's where you get your like Metal Gear Awesome and things that's like where that. That's where Donkey from. came from, technically. And, and, and also the Yoshi <laughs> parade or whatever he called it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and then you also, for the more live action stuff, it would usually be like skits or blogs or something like that. Yeah. Um, I guess for me, one of the first ones that it, it didn't really so much blow my mind in terms of like, oh, this is something you can do, but it's like, oh, this actually is, there's something to it. And I know you're not too big on it, but like when I started watching videos about people like reviewing games or like mm-hmm. doing let's plays of them, it was like, oh, there, you know, there is actually something to taking a product that you didn't make and making some sort of entertainment around that or simply playing through it and talking about it. As if, like, you're reliving experiences, sharing it with someone who's not there. Like, there, there is, you know, there is more that you can do than just animations and skits, which I don't want to phrase it in such a way that it sounds like, you know, that's low effort stuff. No, but it when, isn't. but as a viewer, you know, it's just like, oh, this was produced. Now I can watch it. And then that's mm-hmm. going to be the few minute journey. And that was the market of what was on the internet. There was those, the, 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 uh, like, cute animal videos or your weird sketch comedy stuff. Smosh existed at some point. Yeah. They were the big ones. And you had, uh, yeah, people making videos about already existing things like what if Pokemon was real and you had sketches of that variety growing up. But yeah, uh, I get what you're saying though. There was definite internet media that was emerging at the time like your Let's Plays or or even reviewers. My YouTube primarily, I watch review content. And I remember seeing, unfortunately, but also fortunately, the Nostalgia Critic mm-hmm. and, and those of his ilk reviewing content and reviewing content that they wanted to do it wasn't just new movies or, or classics it could be dumb kids movies or obscure cult they, movies yeah, or whatever and that usually... idea that 
a person who isn't like a professional film critic who is a, a journalist in the paper or has been doing it for decades can just sit down and review something was also eye-opening. Mm. Yeah, and I know that you, you know me, I used to be you know huge into like cinema snob. Mm-hmm. That was, I remember one of the, even though that was like, you know, later down the line a bit, like 2010, 2011, 2012, mm-hmm. where I expanded out of just like the, you know, the the produced videos that he made to more like the reviews, like the midnight screenings, he yeah. called it where he just comes out of the cinema with his friends and, like, just the friends shooting the shit thing. It almost felt like this illusion, the that illusion of, like, you know, these people are not your friends, but I almost felt like, oh, man, but I, I see them interacting mm-hmm. as friends. I almost feel like I do know them, like little quirks. And, yeah, it's it's interesting. And then there's Red Letter Media, who who, even today, it feels as if, they go beyond the effort that one should. Mm. They have good production. They're a production company that happens to make reviews and video essays, and they really... Yes, but but to get back to Dr. Horrible here, I saw that, and it really... Wow, you can do what you would traditionally be seen in other mediums for the internet. Oh, wow. And But then I also remembered why this was made. I was very vividly aware of the writer's strike happening because it was affecting TV shows that I liked. Mm-hmm. And so I understood why this was made. This was made because it was a bit of fun. They shot it in six days. They did all this stuff. It was it was a rush thing, but it was like, uh, it, like how we know with being creatives. It's a bunch of people getting together, wanting to create something in a limited space of time with restrictions, and they just did it. And here it is, and we can talk about it and watch it. And they and they did a and they put it on the internet because it was the place where they could put it mm. out there. And I remember that was the context. So so it was also this sensation of this being an outlier for things. This wasn't going to be a standard that I would ever see on the internet. And I've been proven right and wrong on that in ways as well. Uh, but yeah, uh, that's kind of my ride with it. Tell me, what was your experience with watching Dr. Horrible? I mean, you kind of, I was actually a bit shocked to hear that you actually knew some b- bits and bobs about it because I had forgotten any uh, of that yeah, kind of stuff. Just... I thought this was going to be yet another one of those, here's a strange thing I've thrown at Bartek. Well, definitely strange in the sense that, like, what I mentioned about, like, the review and the little things that I kept in my mind uh, basically was the extent of it. Like, you might remember I mentioned, like, oh, it was just some little comedy musical kind of thing. Mm-hmm. In fact, I didn't even register, like, you know, so much it is a musical. I only really got that from the title. Like, I mm-hmm. don't remember him mentioning the review, but it's like, oh, well, they must sing in it. Mm-hmm. I didn't know if it was, like, going to be an entirely singing thing or if it was just going to be more like what it is, you know? Yeah, like, traditional musical traditional rather than musical. kind of like an opera style where it's every word is sung. Yes. Um, so I, yes, I watched it last night once, and because I had time, I actually rewatched it this morning mm-hmm. because there were just a bunch of things that when I was reading up about it, I'm like, oh, I think I need to give this another shot. Um, I think I also did have that classic thing of like, oh, because I had different expectations the first time around, a lot of things went over my head and it is, you know, much shorter. So I'll watch it again. And definitely I, I benefited from the second viewing. Okay. So what was the first viewing like? Um, the first viewing, I guess I was thinking more along the lines of, oh, this is going to just be a really silly comedy the whole way through. Mm -hmm. Um, this main character's uh, values as a villain are kind of going to be... Uh, silly? Silly. Uh, m- more staple, more... I don't want to use the word generic, but like... Traditional. Traditional or cookie cutter. That's a, Yeah, that's a good mm-hmm. one. 
Um, tropey. Tropey. And it's not going to matter as much. What actually matters is going to be like, you know, all the interactions and stuff. Mm-hmm. And I don't, I think it wasn't until uh, he was talking with uh, his moist buddy um, <laughs> about how, you know, I don't kill people. That's not my style that I started realizing like, oh, okay, there, there is actually a bit more depth to this. And then obviously uh, the ending being a tragedy <laughs> really kind of flipped all that. So I'm like, oh, okay, this, I wasn't expecting this. Yeah. And so- yeah, we've done multiple reviews on Pictures Power where I'm like, oh, yeah, you know, I think I could really benefit from a second viewing. And yeah. this is one time where I actually did do one beforehand. Yeah, I'm glad to hear it. So you were more caught off guard with how it presented itself and then how it ended itself. This mm. slow unraveling of this isn't just a, a goofy comedy that's just taken the piss and been fluffy it's actually got more layers to it and it is in fact a tragedy yeah i I knew that it was going to be like a high effort thing but in terms of the tone and where it was going things like that yeah that i I was underestimating it oh that's interesting yeah i had a great time re-watching this i've watched this many times over the years i listened to the soundtrack of it i enjoy the music from this quite a lot i've had one of the songs as an alarm clock at points in my life. We have uh, mm-hmm. the Freeze Ray song. It's a great one to wake you up. You know, d- 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 well, it is one of the up. first ones in the thing, yeah, and, so, it, yeah. and it, it's a slow building up one. I mean, there are some songs you can't have your as you that wake you up in the morning, right? <laughs> I cannot believe my eyes. Yeah. <laughs> that one's fine, I guess. No, um, uh, uh, everybody's here in their own way, but no, I um, I I enjoy this, but I was very curious because I haven't watched it in a little while. And I wanted to look at this again with you, who I assumed had not seen or heard much about it. I wanted to look at it in the landscape of where we are now, because mm-hmm. this came out at a certain period of time. And superhero media has changed. Uh, musicals have changed. This type of thing doesn't exist, really. And Joss Whedon, the perspective of him has changed very much so. The creator, one of, one of the creators of this, uh, the darling child, and also just the humor I wanted to see how the humor fits with today's standards. And I also like to go back to the internet thing about this, to look back on pieces of media created on the internet and looking at them and seeing why this doesn't work nowadays, why this doesn't happen nowadays. And although this is more of a Hollywood thing put on the internet, there is this one element that I'm so, I I find so fascinating faded away on the internet, which is, Using the vlogging, blogging, usual formats that YouTube uses to convey a story. That existed for a little period of time. Hmm. It was obviously Boxy, the famous Boxy. One of the first people to ever get doxxed. No. <laughs> there was Boxy. She did her thing early on. And then there was stuff later on. There was... Uh, ARGs that played around with the vlogging format. There was uh, people who would take classic stories like uh, Pride and Prejudice and Frankenstein and would make them be told in a modern vlogging format like the Lizzie Bennet Diaries. And I always found that to be, oh, that's an interesting way to do things. You're taking what is an emerging piece of storytelling, which is the vlog format, which was a very big thing about YouTube, right? That there's anyone they could plonk down a camera and they could just talk about their day-to-day life. And I always found that interesting. And so you have this here that reminded me of that, what feels like it was a six to seven year time period in which that was a viable way on the internet to frame and structure and tell a story. 
And I wanted to kind of have a look back at that again and see if it holds up on a rewatch all these years later, or if it feels too awkward and cringy mm. and dated. Because there's obviously that thing too of there's always going to be is this dated now like whenever you have one of those i'm hip and with it type of things you go back and you and it's like hella cringe it's it's definitely part of the comedy in the blog sections are Mm -hmm. you know light cringe comedy it's not Mm -hmm. not too strong but it's it's very realistic you don't have the as as I call it, the cat hammock music or the cuts <laughs> in the middle of a sentence or anything like that. No, 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 no. Um, so, yeah, let's just walk through this, buddy. So mm-hmm. you had to watch this twice, so just kind of talk to me about it. Uh, tell me stuff you liked, didn't like, uh, your general kind of going through characters. I just want to hear from you because, I, I, like you said, you watched this a second time. I'm a bit surprised to hear that as well, but it is short and sweet. So, mm-hmm. yeah, just walk me through your kind of experience with this. Sure. Um, I should say right off the bat that I didn't really have any big laughs. Um, mm. Was mostly in it just watching it for the story, but then there were definitely like little lines of like, oh, that was a good one. Mm. Um, in, in most of like the actual blog stuff, which isn't actually that, you know, prominent throughout the whole thing, maybe a little less than half of it is kind mm. of in that blog format. Um, he, Neil Patrick Harris definitely nailed that. Like all the, just the awkwardness, it feels very natural. Um, just like thinking of something to add on, like, oh, and by the way, there were kids at the park, you know, just like <laughs> little things like that. It's like, oh yeah, th- this feels real. This feels like, you know, this awkward character would do something like that. Sarcasm. How original. <laughs> <laughs> just got brushes off. Just keeps going. Yeah. Yeah. And definitely because you're not cutting away during this constantly, you feel the awkwardness and mm. yeah, you really get a sense of this character. Um, and then you get to the first song and- I, you know what? I, I'd always heard that he was a good singer. Mm-hmm. Um, I think the only thing I can remember ever hearing him sing was like his opening for when he hosted the Oscars. But okay, so this might be my first time actually seeing him in a you know produced product singing. Um, and yeah, he's pretty damn good at doing singing. Right? Did you know that, Ryan? I did know that. Thank you, thank you, buddy. Now you thank know, you, friend. Now you know. <laughs> You're welcome. You're welcome. Thank you. Uh, so you didn't have necessarily any big laugh out louds, but were what were some highlight moments for you of any of the comedy stuff outside of the blogging or any specific lines of the blogging? Oh, there was... I have to think of all of them. Just <laughs> To me, it's a very quotable film, but that's maybe because I've watched it a few times. Yeah. I, I think the big laugh out loud moment for me that first time, it's iconic if you've seen this before. It is the hammer is my penis mm. line from Captain Hammer. The unnecessary need to come back and tell him that. And the line delivery from Nathan Fillion and the comedic timing of it is a standout moment for me and many people who, who have watched this. That's one of my go-tos. There's so many lines in this that I've often forgot that I have forgotten are from this. Mm. Such as I have used I don't know how many times in my life. To, like I say, to the point in which I have forgotten that it's from this, which is the status is not quo, is a line I have said a lot. That was Yeah, that was right there in the beginning as well, wasn't mm-hmm. it? Yeah. That's very, very early on. The status is not quo. Yeah, that's a, that's a classic. A little gag that I've always loved, and my sister and I love this gag. We always talk about it, which, which is moist. 
<laughs> talking about how he went on a date with bait and switch <laughs> and how he thought he was going to get with bait <laughs> and he was really disappointed see uh, the first time round, i that kind of went over my head i was just like oh okay he seems like a bit of a self-centered guy but then the second time around i'm like oh I, okay i get it now yeah 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 and i love uh the dumb gags, such as I really love the cowboy guys yeah, I was that gonna always mention. exist on the edge of the frame. And did you love the little gag with them in the final sequence where they only exist at the door frame? Yep. <laughs> <laughs> and they've got their beers and they're partying, but they're in rhythm with unison with one another. Yeah, yeah, I yeah. love that. I love that. <laughs> it's one of my, whenever I think of the movie, it's one of the things I think of is that dumb, dumb visual gag <laughs> in which it's unneeded. And I love it to bits. Uh, yeah, yeah. Those are those are some highlights. Also, just every Captain Hammer moment ever. He's he's a perfect comedy character for me. He he's just such a piece of shit. And Nathan Fillion plays the role with this Bruce Campbell like ease, where Bruce Campbell from the Evil Dead movies is like this charming, effortless, handsomeish but smug pretty boy fuckhead and i get that from nathan fillion a lot too. he's got the voice down too yeah. oh yes <laughs> he's got that uh kind of yeah he's got that down a lot so yeah i um those are some of my personal highlights but yeah keep keep going with uh, the stuff you you want to go on about with with this if there's any other jokes or just any other type of things you want to dive into with this because after all this is your first time i'm very keen to to hear it because this is your first time seeing a product that was made all those years ago you're coming at it now 2022 you don't have any affection for for joss whedon or mm. the superhero landscape or you know any of that so i'm just wanting to really get what hear what you got out of this one one blog moment that did have a cut in it was um <laughs> you know what i'm talking to mm-hmm. <laughs> where he just finished one of his blogs talking about like oh this is what i'm gonna do next this and is my he, plan and then he comes back Clearly a little bit rattled. He's like, um, so turns out that the police and Captain Hammer, you know, are one of my viewers and they were completely prepared for my plan. And he threw a car at my head. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) It's great. It's great because it's making fun of the stupid conceit of the movie, which is why would a supervillain have a public vlog blog channel in which the police and the hero could watch it? Yeah. And and the cut makes sense because it's a different blog. Yep. Yep, and he's bruised on the eye, and he's like, wink, like blinking odd, odd, because he's like dazed and confused from like he got a car thrown at his head. Yeah, 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 yeah. Uh, any musical numbers standing out to you? Um, I think the one that sticks with me the most is My Eyes. Yeah. Yep, from the very beginning of the second act. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, it's just been stuck in my head since I watched it. That's my sister's favorite one as well. Honestly, mm. I um. I'm a big fan of Slipping, the one in which he's frozen Captain Hammer mm-hmm. and he's singing to the crowd and to us about how his disguise is slipping and they're all, basically it's his your sheeple speech. Yeah. I like that one a lot. It has, I, I like the menace of it. I like the music of it. I like the humor in that one too. It manages to slip some in there. I, I, I do very much love... Uh, anarchy that i run <laughs> is a line that he says like one of the things he wants is anarchy that i run and it's like mm, you can't do that but that's not how that works buddy and when the journal he walks over the journalist and cracks out the spell dr horrible it's, it's two, two hours, hours yeah. actually <laughs> i love that i love that and i'm a big fan of uh i'm uh man's gotta do 
A man's gotta do what a man. Is that when we first see Captain Hammer? Yeah, yeah. yeah. And I love the use because that's a real first song, right? That has the use of multiple people's lyrics on top of each other. Mm, That was really good at the very end of it. Yeah, 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 and, yeah, yeah. Like these two are having like a romantic, you know, movie superhero moment, and this <laughs> villain character who is our actual main character is like pointing out all the inconsistencies, inconsistencies, <laughs> the the falsehoods. He threw you in the garbage. <laughs> <laughs> like, are you watching the same heist or what? I love that, and I, I, you know, me, man, I am a big fan of super smug, machismo, arrogant comedy characters. And the introduction of Captain Hammer, because you've been told about Captain Hammer at this point. You've been told. He's the actual arch nemesis, <laughs> not Johnny Snow or whatever the name yeah, is. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And you get told about Captain Hammer, and then you see Captain Hammer. Like, he immediately jumps in, and he's doing all the poses, and he's got the smug face, and he looks directly at the camera. Like, he does that classic, the head turns, and he looks directly at the camera to deliver a line. That's my shit in comedies. I love that type of shit. You know this. I know this. I So... That song has to stand out for me as a personal favourite as well, just because it is a marvellous introduction to what will be the antagonist of this of this film. I'm going to keep calling it a film. I don't care. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, that's a that's a, that's one of those things. So uh, yeah, you watch this this, this uh, the two times over because yeah, it does proceed to unfold itself into being more of a sad, dr- dramatic, well, tragic, comedy, tragic yeah. piece. How do you feel about that overall now that you've digested this twice? How do you feel about how it morphs into being that? I do appreciate it a lot more that I gave it the second chance. I, I've said that already. Um, because, yeah, you have this character who, uh, and geez, th- all of this kind of went, again, like his m- motives and stuff like that, I was just dismissing the first time he was talking about it. But, yeah, it's right there from the beginning. You know, the, the world is messed up. He wants the status quo to be changed. Mm. Um, and he's consistently bringing those things up throughout the whole thing um, about how essentially he's not necessarily inherently evil, but he's using evil as his tool of choice to try and make change in the world. Mm. And then in the end, like he, he becomes true evil by mm. doing all the things that he did end up doing. And he, He's pulling it off, you know, publicly to enter all the other people, but inside, like, he's just completely dead. He's numb. He's numb. He's he's sad. He he sings, I'm fine, in the most, like, I'm I not think fine. I'm fine. Yeah, I think, I think I'm fine. Yeah. <laughs> I, yeah, I remember that being a surprise gut punch in my little comedy uh, musical uh, where he accidentally kills the girl of his dreams. It's interesting because he's consistent at being inconsistent in the movie with his motives because the whole thing is he wants to change the status quo. He wants to do this, but he has no actual he has no actual idea of what any of that means. He's just an and this is how it's aged in an interesting way to me. He's an angry man who doesn't know how to direct that anger towards something beneficial he he just knows that he's upset with how things are he's angry that he's not the center of attention and he's using this cartoonish league of evil as this uh as this aspirational thing to become because he wants to fit in and he wants a place in the world he wants to change the world but he doesn't actually know what he wants in what that actually means i think he has a line acknowledging that near the end right yeah yeah and it's all this thing of 
him wanting change is a falsehood. He he says that in one of the songs where he's like, what he wants is power and money. Oh, and social change. <laughs> right? Uh, anarchy that I run. Uh, it's my turn. It's Dr. Horrible's turn now. That's what he wants. He wants his time to be the in the eye and to be important, but it comes at a terrible, terrible price. And I think that's really fascinating because he is our central character. Inherently, you want to like him. Just as a central character, you're following in a thing. He's played by Neil Patrick Harris, who's a charming fellow, wouldn't you agree? Mm-hmm. But Neil Patrick Harris doesn't not shy away. He doesn't shy away from how this guy's a weird creep who's antisocial and uh, an asshole. And, but because he's our central character and we're viewing this through the lens of him being our thrusting point, you're pushing aside those things that we've mentioned because you want him to get what he wants. You want him to have a happy ending. You want him to get the girl... But he doesn't like the girl. He doesn't care about what she cares about. He doesn't respect her. He just wants her because that's... He just wants. He doesn't even know necessarily what he wants, but he knows he wants things. And then in the end, he gets a tragic ending because it is that thing of he's desiring things that he probably shouldn't be desiring and it punishes him. And he's trapped in that in the end, right? She dies... And he becomes the Dr. Horrible he was afraid of becoming. He didn't want to kill people, but now he's killing people and he's fine with it. He's fine with it. But it's killed him on the inside. And he's wearing this now awesome red suit. He's got this exterior of what it is to be a villain, but now he actually understands the repercussions of what it is to be this thing. It reminds me very much of uh, you and I watched Babylon 5. Mm-hmm. <laughs> And it reminds me very much of one of the central characters in that show thinks that they want a certain thing and then they get it and it's the most horrible thing and they have to suffer that for the rest of the show and they just live in this torment of what they've got, but that's what they've got. And their clothes change colour. And, tra- and they change colour clothes, that's it. You got it. <laughs> to be honest, the very first thing I thought was um, Lemonade Joe, where it's like, this is the output of an Avenger. <laughs> yeah, yeah, right, right. But uh, yeah, I, I appreciate on how it earns the ending there, because it does make you reflect back and make you want to watch back that Billy uh, slash Dr. Horrible, he brought it on himself. Right? Mm. This isn't like, oh, Captain Hammer made him do this and it became... No, all of these things are building up on the negative traits of the character, biting him in the ass. Hence, it's a good tragedy story. Because a good tragedy story in a narrative, that's what you want from that. Especially of this variety. The, um... One element that I was catching on to even before, you know, I realised to myself, like, I need to watch it again, was, um... In their first proper conversational interaction between Billy and Penny, you know, mm-hmm. where he's working the remote control and she's talking to him, um, it's essentially the second scene of the whole thing. Yeah. And what we get out of the first scene is, you know, he is uh, an aspiring villain who really wants a prestigious, um, you know- Position. Position, good word. Um, but also he wants the girl. And you've got these two things, and it's like, okay. And he has so, an idealized version of the girl. Yes, but but even before that point, these are the two objectives. 
and they're kind of mutually exclusive. Like, mm-hmm. he doesn't want to become the supervillain to get the girl, and he doesn't need the girl to become the supervillain. <laughs> so how is this story kind of going to balance these two things? Is it going to be a story of, like, ooh, choosing between the career and and love? Mm. Like, that's, again, because I wasn't fully on board with what was going on, I was thinking that maybe that's going to be the story. And so, you know, immediately, first scene, really wants the girl. Uh, second scene, he's interacting with the girl, and he's being obviously he's you know stressed because he's doing something, but like his attitude is really kind of dismissive towards mm-hmm, her because that what we learn here is they've never interacted before properly, they've never spoken, yeah, so he doesn't know anything about her. He just sees a pretty girl and he's projected all of these things onto her, the dancing in the freeze race these are all his projections, so now we're seeing the real thing. And it, she's the opposite of he, what he stands for. And so he rejects her. Mm. Yeah, yeah. And and even his his words after she leaves, is like, she finally talked to me. Why did it have to be now, though? And it was almost like, oh, you, you should be more happy about this. That's what I was right? kind of expecting a bit more of. Like, I thought there was going to be a bit more of a clash there, but it was, yeah, just oddly, oddly negative. Yeah. And- even though he's happy about it on some level yeah well that's what makes a great character that's what makes him an interesting character and characters like this interesting especially when you're following them as your protagonist because obviously he's a bad person you could argue he's kind of got incel behavior within him yeah, i was you waiting could, i was waiting for that they brought up yeah <laughs> yeah you could argue that he captain has, chad yeah captain chad you can argue all of those things but to to actually frame him as the person you're following uh, it's a fascinating thing because we see he has wants, needs, desires, and aspirations, and he wants to be happy. He wants to be happy, mm. but he isn't. He's an angry and sad person. And the, so from a narrative, you have to follow that to its logical progression. So he's this angry, bitter, sad person, but he wants to be not good, but he also he wants to be a villain, but also he doesn't want to pull the trigger on what that actually means. As he as we see with Moist, Moist is more of a villain than he is. Moist is more gung ho about murdering people. Yeah, he's like, oh, you want to kill a kid or maybe this old lady, right? <laughs> yeah. And he's 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 grossed up by this notion. He's like, well, what do you think you are, man? Mm. What do you think you are? You're in this weird, awkward position. And so when he has that scene with Penny, who is a character that is good. She's the she's all the virtues that he does not have. He doesn't like that because he doesn't agree with it. And so what do you have in common with her? Nothing. And he proceeds never to try and have anything in common with her. He never tries to engage with her on a on a person to person level. He just wants her because he's had this idea, this goal in his brain. But it doesn't fit. And now Captain Hammer's got it. So now the goal has changed of now my nemesis has the girl. I have to get the girl back. I have to stop him from having the girl. It's like, that's bad, right? On a real world level, that's not good. Mm -hmm. That's why he's a bad person. But you're so engrossed in the fun of hanging around Neil Patrick Harris and hanging around Dr. Horrible and his songs and seeing him become a villain and all that, that you kind of gloss over it a little perhaps but he doesn't respect penny on a real person level he's just as bad as 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 uh captain hammer when it comes to her like both of them just objectify her that's what they have for her Mm. and i guess that's a critique i have of this and many people is 
Penny's not a character. Mm. She's an object that they are, are, are pursuing and are using in the script and using in the story. And I don't know, it was always bugged me when I watched it back in the day. It bugs me now that it's bad that when she dies, I have an emotional reaction only because of Dr. Horrible, only because of Billy. I don't actually care about her. And when she sings songs and when she has lines of dialogue, there's this sensation that comes over me because they haven't done a really good job of actually deepening her as a character and giving her agency of any sort that I just disengage mm. on a level. What do you feel about all of that stuff? Because I, I was talking a bit there and I see you kind of eyes darting around and stroking the chin and giving me these looks <laughs> like, I don't know. What do you think? Yeah, I definitely d- our main character has... The, the things that you were saying about, you know, his idealized version of her um, and it being, you know, the same as, uh, I must call him Chad. Captain Hammer. <laughs> Captain Hammer's um, uh, attitude towards her. With Captain Hammer, it's a lot more overt and spelt out. Oh, like, yeah. Oh, hey, maybe maybe there was like an initial attraction for like a one time thing, but then once I found, once I read, oh, sorry, read, once I watched your blog and realized, oh, girl of your dreams, well, now I'm gonna do it just to spite you. Mm. Like at that point, it's very clear that like, okay, you are just in it for a malicious reason, even if you know, yeah, the thing that you do as part of this is gonna help homeless people. Mm-hmm. Um, with Doctor Horrible, uh, Billy. I feel like there was a bit more of a genuineness to it because it's a guy who we could probably guess has never really had a relationship before and is aspiring to one. And he does clearly have some sort of feeling inside, whether it is, you know, completely negative or not. I know there's a lot of like little implications that he's been stalking her because like the the photo that he has has like leaves around the frame (laughs) and stuff like that. And the whole song where he's stalking them on dates. Yes, yes. And he's in the background of shots. True, but yes, but there's also, you know, a bunch of scenes of them interacting and there is, you know, some sort of tension going on there that I feel like, okay, there is a potential for something to bloom from here, whether it's, you know, toxic or not. Yes. And they even have, like, a song together. It's like the Chin Up, I forget the name. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, Billy Billy Buddy. Buddy. Yeah. Um, Where, you know, something is happening, and I see it more, again, going back to that tragedy idea of if he interacted with her in, you know, different ways and would have been a bit more genuinely reaching for a relationship, I feel like he could have avoided the fate that it leads to. And you even get, like, the scene of um, So They Say, where, like, she's <laughs> holding the two frozen yogurts, someone walks in, she looks back. Yeah, exactly, exactly Which, which right. I missed on my first time, so it was mm-hmm. nice to see again. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's just, again, going back to the tragedy of because he is reaching for the super villainy th- stuff and, uh, you know, all of his angst, He's not making the right moves, and it leads him to the sad conclusion. Of course. All of that is completely true and valid. I 100% understand that as well. I I think there's some interesting kernels of thought there, such as Captain Hammer makes it overt that he's doing this as a malicious tactic against against, uh, uh, Dr. Horrible, against Billy. And how does Billy respond to that? With malicious intent as well. That's Mm. what I mean. Like, like... He is not trying to change to be a better person, to actually connect with Penny. After a certain point, it is to screw over Captain Hammer, to kill Captain Hammer and get the girl, instead of actually caring about the girl in any way, shape or form. You know what I mean? Yes. It is that tit for tat. His ego got bruised. 
That's why he goes after Captain Ham. His ego got bruised there. That's what my reading is. And then another thing that uh, you touch upon there that's, that's, that is fascinating of when they have their scenes together, you, you get the sensation that there's something there. And this is both a positive and negative of of this is it's because we're seeing it from his perspective. Yes, I, I fully realize that yeah. there is an illusion at play there. Yeah, exactly. And that is a pro, positive here, because this is a story, this is a character study, this is a character story that's only in, for 40 minutes. That's the thing too. When people give really harsh critiques of this, I have to remind myself, and I think they should be, people should be reminded, this was something created for fun in a very short vacuum of time. And the fact that it's coherent is is, is, is good on them. And the yeah. fact that we can talk this vividly about themes and stuff and about uh, uh, ideas and dynamics, great. But in all actuality, this was just something that a bunch of creative people wanted to make because they weren't allowed to create things at that moment. And so they got together and said, wouldn't it be funny if we did this? And then they did it, right? But there is that thing of... It is well done because this is a character study. We're focusing on this one guy. We're seeing his uh, he, he, his his strengths and weaknesses, and we may be even blind to his weaknesses upon a first viewing, or at all. There are some people who would just say that oh, he would have been perfect if he did kill Captain Hammer and he got with the girl. No, like <laughs> he's got inherent flaws that he's not willing to change. Right? He was never willing to change himself for her or for others really and then circumstances happen in which in the end he does change but for the worse and it hurts him uh but yeah i think there's that thing of because penny doesn't really get any major work done for her in comparison to captain hammer in comparison to dr horrible you just have to take it at the face value that she has feelings for him too but really like to her billy's a guy that she knows and he's nice enough, but he is strange and dismisses her. Like, when he dismisses her, when he's texting and doing all that stuff, she just walks away. Because she's like, oh, this guy's just too weird. I'm just going to walk away. Right? That's what she does. Because even she acknowledges, this Billy guy's a little bit weird. Um, and in the end, i got to ask you this, though. Penny, is she a smart character to you in this story? Like, how do you perceive her from what we get do you think that she's uh we talk about like she's a character of virtues and wisdom but like this is a movie or thing where it's commenting on the failings of those wants and hers like when they first interact he's has this whole thing of like you're treating a symptom Hmm. so at the end of it how do you feel about her and what she stood for do you think that she was a right and smart character or what uh, rather than being someone of, you know, higher intelligence or wisdom or anything like that, um, it sounds like a really cruel thing to begin with, but I yeah. I mean, it's a um, fictional character. I know, it is a fictional character. That's right, people, it's fiction. Yeah, but she's yeah. played by an actress, so now I'm applying that to the actress, and I'll be sending her my letter. Okay, Felicia um, Day. <laughs> I won't, thank you. Who you was did a good job. another internet, did, did the guild, I don't know if you ever remember that, that was an early internet thing as well. Like a, I remember the name, but yeah. I don't know. So that was a reason she's here as well, so go on. Um, to some extent, yes, you have pointed out that she is sort of being used as a device there, mm-hmm. and I I do think that part of her characterization is a sort of, uh, I don't know if we'll use the word, like the parody or an homage to, you know, like 
the the really pure girl, like one of the first scenes we get of her for real, you know, not the laundry day thing, is her on the street corner, you know, holding out a thing, being like, could you please do this? Like, you know, little matchstick girl or something yeah, like being that. being ignored. Being ignored. Um, almost reminds me of, like, beginning of Final Fantasy VII, like, oh, the flower girl, like, trying to sell flowers <laughs> on this, like, corrupt-looking street. Um, and, and to that extent, it's like, okay, we're going to be playing around with the tropes and the idea of, you know, this pure character who's optimistic, who genuinely wants good things, um, but doesn't really have the power to, you know, reach for them. Mm-hmm. And uh, what we get is uh, when she's, you know, hanging out with Captain Hammer and all that, uh, the, the My Eyes song, she is in this good mood, this good place where she's feeling like, oh, things are going to happen even when she's like looking at him, like, mm-hmm. you know, ignoring her to talk to someone else or anything like that. <laughs> and her lyrics are all about how the world is starting to wake up to goodness. Um, and she feels like everything's going well, you know, juxtaposed mm-hmm. next to horrible, uh, who's horrible, who's miserable, miserable and singing about how he still needs to fulfill his villainous. Uh-huh. Uh, or, or his, you know, to him virtuous uh, goal. And in that song too, he's spurning her for not helping stop the darkness inside of him. Mm. It's like, that's her job apparently. You know, it's one of those weird things, right? Yeah. And like you're saying, but though later though in the song, to give her credit as a character too, just to interject briefly, mm-hmm. there are those moments where she's she's keenly aware that Doc, uh, Captain Hammer's not the greatest partner grace guy he's pretty okay i guess she she's self-aware enough to know that this isn't the perfect partner but on paper he's good enough like he's taking the interests in her stuff even though it's obviously not full he is helping her he is doing the things on paper that are good he's taking her on dates he's listening to her yes i I suppose that's kind of crap but it's not real because we know because we're throwing Dr. Horrible that he's a horrible monster who's an egotist. But from her perspective, she doesn't know that, but she does have the wisdom and the intelligence to know that, eh, that like, when he's saying the stuff at the speech where it's like, not my usual type, she gives these looks like, oh, can we not? <laughs> to, to go back to an earlier illusion I mentioned, like, uh, just after Captain Hammer, quote unquote, fingers here, saved her life and they're having <laughs> like that romantic song while Dr. Horrible is singing about, like, this is what's really happening. Mm. You could see that as the start of her entering the illusion of Captain mm. Hammer. And you can kind of see the rest of it as, like, you know, uh, when she is embracing it and talking about her optimism versus when she is, as you're saying, like, re- recognizing that there are inconsistencies there. It's clear that she is wanting to embrace the illusion. Yes, of course. Yes. As is everybody with Captain Hammer, right? Yes. The whole town, until he he loses, and now they're all about Dr. Horrible. They just sway like that. And that's why I ask if she's an intelligent character, because there's that moment, right, where she dies, and her final lines are, don't worry, Captain Hammer will save us. And it's a dramatic irony because Captain Hammer won't save you. You're dead. In fact, Captain Hammer technically killed you. Yes. He's the one who did it. Um, it's, and, it's her dying while still embracing the illusion. Yeah. She's holding on to what we are now lear- learning and we have learned throughout the uh, thing is the 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 unfortunate truth that Captain Hammer is just as flawed and just as fucked up as everybody else. And in fact, 
isn't a hero, perhaps. Maybe he is a hero in the most in the most boilerplate way, but like the, she's relying the on her- yeah the heroism and the heroic uh, results that come almost feels like you know collateral to you know his yeah go- goals. Just because like he's that. a hero doesn't mean he's a hero, if you know what I mean. Mm. Just because he's a superhero who's saving the day doesn't mean he's an actual good person. Yeah. And she's confused, like she's putting her faith in a false prophet in a way, you know? And that's why I mean, like, it ends with the dramatic irony of, in the end, she was, as Dr. Horrible was singing in Slipping, she never woke up to the fact that his disguise was slipping and that it was fake. She still held on to the hope that he would be do the good thing, when in the end, out of everybody in the story, and this is what I mean, I wish, if this was f- ten minutes longer, and they gave a little bit more to Penny, I kind of wish that they delved into the fact that she was the right one out of all of them. She was the one that was like, Dr. Horrible was dismissive and Captain Hammer didn't care either. Nobody cared about actually doing social change as they keep saying throughout this movie, except for her. Yeah, she actually, despite her being the weakest in the sense of like her capabilities, like she was actually, you know, her trying to treat the symptom mm-hmm. was her doing something in her own way. She was in fact the hero that the people needed. She was the one that was actually willing to help others without a selfish goal in mind. It was for the fact of these people need help and we should actually try to change them. Well, Captain Hammer, he's just taking it for the glory and to get pussy. And Dr. Horrible wants to completely upend that for no real goal other than his own ego as well. And so in the end, when she is left with Captain Hammer will save us, it is that thing of... In a way, she's sold out on her values in a little way of, in the end, she's, she thinks, oh, Captain Hammer will save it. Captain Hammer will do the right thing. It's like, no, you were doing the right thing. You had to believe in yourself. Uh, but no, in the end, you know, she's dead and she's the fridged girl that helps the hero, you know, that informs the story. But no, I think it's, you know, I don't want to go too heavy into that kind of stuff because that's the thing too, like, it's fascinating that we have this 40-minute thing here, and I feel like we're only just scratching the surface of things that we can talk about with it. You know what I mean? Like, mm-hmm. we've barely talked about the songs. There's other comedy things we could talk about, the how this was made. Hence, I was compelled to want to talk about it on the podcast, because to me, this has the juice, the meat of what we would discuss with any other movie we do here. But, I, I think so far we have basically, and, yeah, done pictures but, well. <laughs> but this is an internet thing that was broken up into three parts and won an Emmy even though it wasn't a TV thing and got nominated. And it was like, where does this fit for you, like, in terms of that? Because to me, when I also think of internet things, this doesn't fit that either. When I think of what an internet film is, this doesn't really fit that mold to me either. This, to me, comes across as a short film that was just broken up into three parts on the internet because you could only upload so many minutes Mm. to those sites back in the day instead of just putting it all at once. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Yep. When I look at this, that's how many YouTube comments, many people just, oh, it's a film. (laughs) It's just a film. I can't call this a mini-series or a TV show or an internet show proper. What do you think about that? I guess... Yeah, it would fall under this sort of like web video umbrella. It's the type of content, type of, it is content that you would find primarily on the internet. Um, yeah, I, I'd struggle to call it a film or a short film. I almost mm. think of it, 
in, in a weird way because this is a live action thing that you have to go to but almost feels like a theater play because yeah. it does have you know the three-act structure and you know but between every 14 minutes you get like quick credits and then an opening uh almost feels like oh yeah i just had an intermission at the theater in melbourne or something like that um and when it comes back you know it's not necessarily like you know recapping what happened but it does in a way still reintroduce you to the story mm. it's like every 14 minutes you almost start from a, a point of zero yeah yeah yeah, yeah. It, it's very fascinating i uh with with dr horrible sing-along blog the comedy for me upon revisiting it after all these years later still hit very well but there were points where i was reminded how we've changed since 2007 and 8 if you catch my drift how did you feel about that well in terms of like this being a product from the past this being a comedy from the past because whenever we've done comedies from our youth we talk about that how mm. they don't make things like this or these type of jokes or these words don't even get used anymore did you have that at all when you were viewing this or was this just one of those things where you were like oh this still feels fresh today like this is just something that could be dead today um well uh, you know me i'm not too into like the superhero films or the mcu or anything like that but i have seen a couple of them especially from earlier like i have seen avengers which is joss whedon, joss whedon kind of thing and I could definitely see the comparison in the humor from that to this. Um, like, even even in those films, they're the ones that were comedies. Maybe Guardians of the Galaxy being an exception. The comedy was never really something I really liked, and this kind of felt like, you know, the same sort of comedy there. Like, the, mm. the line about the, the hammer is my penis thing. It was like, <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah, there is... Um, Obviously, explaining the joke is a certain type of comedy, and it feels like something that, you know, I would have seen in The Avengers or something like that. Yeah, yeah, it's very interesting. I found it dated in parts. Specifically, I find it so... It's just... I've told... You know, I may use an offensive term, people, but in my lifetime, I don't know when tard and retard became, like, that hard line, you can't say that anymore type of... I know it is... But there was, in my youth, as we see here in this, that kind of flippancy about that and calling people those kind of well, offhanded yeah. derogatory terms in a comedic setting like yeah. this. Big Fat Liar and Kangaroo Jack also had like, yeah, retard, Ricky Retardo. Yeah, yeah. And, and, and Superbad, a great example of a movie that had so much offensive stuff that you're like, oh boy, you know, like people today would lose their shit about this. But like, it was the times. And I think that's important to note down that this was the times. Like, even stuff as him saying balls at the end of one of the acts there, right? That was so of its era balls i i remember people talking like how people do in this certain phrases certain words certain insults to one another that you don't see as often in media today of written variety media today and so i was noting that down and it's not as this, this is a critique it's not me saying that's means it's bad it's more pointing out the fact that this is a thing that was made at a period of time that we are no longer in. If this was made today, I don't think they would do the things that they did here in that manner. Uh, you know, they would use different type of insults yeah. and different words and and yeah, and I don't know if they would be as um in the, I don't know how to really get at it cuz it's like uh 
once I say this, I know that there's a contradiction here. You could go, no, actually. But there's this thing of me in my brain where I, I I don't feel as if, if this was made today, they would just be as blatantly willing to make characters as obnoxious pieces of shit. I was going to say something similar. Um, you mentioned already the comparison to, like, you know, Incel, and you know, I mentioned, like, oh, yeah, the Virgin and the chat and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. Definitely, I feel like it was more of a 20... 20- 2010s decade kind of thing where we started really talking about the the word toxicity and toxic mm-hmm. masculinity and things like that and because this is something from you know later in the 2000s where I'm not even sure if that term existed at all yet or if it mm. was just coming around mm. but definitely in the modern you know progressive status quo consciousness um that is a concept that we all have some sort of understanding with especially yeah. those of us of a younger generation I feel like if this thing was made a bit more in the 2010s, that would be a bit more of a present thing that might be pointed out a bit more. In a weird way, this film almost feels a little ahead of its time in that, you know, that wasn't in our consciousnesses, but there is a really clear example of it happening here. Yeah, there is a definite um, outline of it here, especially with the So They Say song, which really comments upon that type of, like, next up, who's gay? And that kind of... uh, we're 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 pointing at how arrogantly dismissive we are of people such as when she dies when penny dies they just call uh what's her name in the paper or uh so they say again we have a problem with her this is his hair like the mm. the the fan i also like that commentary too of the fan girl fan culture sheeple whatever mentality that is underlying this of they all love captain hammer and they like her, t- I mean, they should like her as well. She's good too, because uh, hey, she's with Captain Hammer, but we do have a problem with her, by the way. Because mm. she's taking our ideal spot of us being her, so we don't like her. Yes, we will actively do the weird stuff. Yeah, <laughs> yeah I love that. <laughs> I love that. But uh, to kind of get out of uh, those kind of heavy things, I just kind of want to get back into because this is a fun thing. To me, it's like, this is just fun I don't think about Dr. Horrible too deeply like we are doing right now. For the podcast, this is what we do. But when I watch it, I just enjoy the performances. We've got to remember, too, that Neil Patrick Harris was really striking gold at this period of time. This was, we we had uh, Harold and Kumar. We had uh, uh, we had uh, How I Met Your Mother around this time. And we had this. This was like a trifecta of changing people or even waking people up about neil patrick harris and what a what a talent he is what a comedic performer is and what a what a charming guy he comes across as and obviously i can't remember where in the timeline this is but eventually also neil patrick harris would come out of the closet and reveal that he's gay and then that was a real big shift in my youth i remember so vividly how that was a big uh turning point uh where there was this real uh big acceptance of that which was unusual because at that time he was playing like barney stinson the ladies but he was gay and it was a big thing that i remember happening at the time that was was made people like neil patrick harris more that he was brave enough and he actually came out and was actually championing these things and he has a husband that he met on how i met your mother and they have a kid and they have all these halloween photos that there was this real at this period of time building up this pendulum swing of appreciation for neil patrick harris who was a likable former child star who kind of was always acting. He was in Starship Troopers, kind of faded into obscurity. And then around this time, 
you couldn't avoid the guy. Do you remember that? Uh, vaguely. Like I said, I didn't really engage in too much of his media. But you know of it. Like, you, mm. Neil Patrick Harris. Yeah, I know. He, but How I Met Your Mother, he was a child star, Doogie Howser. Yeah, Doogie Howser, Starship Troopers he was in. Yep. and uh, a, a gay icon because, yeah, yeah, like you said. Harold and Kumar, those movies, he was in as himself. Like I, an yeah. evil version. Like in the first, I think, one or two movies, he was... What if Neil Patrick Harris was like a crazy drug addict ladies man, and then in the other one of the other ones they lean into the fact that he's gay now? <laughs> like, see, like, I, I have to lean into that. See, I haven't seen. I have a copy of the first one. I never watched. It. I didn't know he was in them. He's the best part. <laughs> he's the best. Okay. I mean, I actually don't mind those movies. They're pretty good. I have a fun time with them. But he is genuinely like, oh wow, Neil Patrick Harris. He's doing everything. He it's like he's doing everything he kind of want him to do in those. And to me, this is what I enjoy about the movie is. You have these people like Neil Patrick Harris who is, he, he he's carrying it. He can sing, he can dance, he can act, he can do the comedy, he's a handsome guy, but also he can come across as like a dweeby guy. Like when he's Billy, he really does come across as like a, as a real life kind of awkward introverted person that you could meet on the streets. But then also it's like he's handsome Neil Patrick Harris as well. He could do that. And then Nathan Fillion. Do you have any connection with Nathan Fillion? Do you know Captain Hammer, Nathan Fillion from anything at all? I don't know, actually. I know it's one of those things where I know the name, but I wouldn't be able to pick out what he was from. Well, well, he was for Fire- Firefly was a big deal, mm-hmm. which got a film Serenity. Uh, he he was in a short fan made film of a Uncharted fan made film where he played Nathan Drake. And people are still very upset now with a new Uncharted film that he did not get to be Nathan Drake. Yeah, Everyone's I w- like, this guy is clearly Nathan Drake. And, yeah, and you watch friend- a short film and you're like, no, 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 this guy this guy is Nathan Drake. Yeah, our, fr- our friend <laughs> Oliver was telling me the other day, um, was like a week ago, about how, because our other friend Stefan saw the Uncharted movie and mm-hmm. he was like, oh yeah, I thought it was okay, don't know anything about Uncharted, but what do you guys think? And I mentioned like, oh, I know that a lot of people think that the the casting of that film is basically a punchline and Oliver mm-hmm. came in saying like, oh yeah, anyone other than Nathan Fillion as Nathan Drake <laughs> is completely unacceptable. And I just thought that was like, oh, because he like looks like him, I guess. No. I didn't know about the short film. I'll thing. show you the short film when we're done. It's fucking fun. Mm. And um, he's very funny. He's very charming. He does, have, as, you, as I said, has that Bruce Campbell thing where you look at him and you go, you look like a parody of a leading man guy because I just kept saying this to my wife, Rachel. I said, do you find him genuinely sexy and attractive? And she's like, oh, here? Yeah, yeah, he's he's good. He's he's a, yeah. And I just went. I can never find him that way because he he always comes across as like the spoof parody version of the handsome leading actor. I was going to say yeah, similar to, similar to how Penny in this was like you know the parody or archetypal you know pure person mm-hmm. he he was like very archetypal hero man like as soon as he you know <laughs> landed on the thing just looking at him like oh yeah this is mm-hmm. yeah, that archetype that you like the sort of captain quark you like yes i'm the hero yeah right right uh i love nathan fillion i think he's very funny he's very charming he's in those destiny games apparently he plays like this he basically plays the nathan fillion charming rogue guy but he's like a robot guy and i don't know much about those destiny games but i do know that he's the fan favorite character because he's fun and that's what you want there are some actors we've talked about this on the pod so many times you just want them to do the thing that they do and here he is doing the thing that he does he's just delivering the smarmy lines and the one-liners and doing the physical i mean one of my favorite bits is the i hate the homeless switches cards 
ness problem of this city. It was just so good. I, I wanted to ask, I don't know if you got any reaction because you said you didn't really laugh out loud too much, but there's this one gag that's so bizarre that I go, this is something Bartek would do himself in a production or would find amusing, which is when he's unfrozen from the freeze ray mm-hmm. and he grabs the death ray or whatever, and he just does this big, out of nowhere, like, operatic, like, oh, the music swells, then it cuts off immediately. <laughs> I always think of you when I see that, I'm like, ah, oh, this feels like something Bartek would want in a production. It's like, could, could we have a character just suddenly do this and it cut off for no reason? It's one of those things where I just smile and nod and it makes me think of you. I don't know if you're remembering this moment by any chance. A little but, yeah. bit, a little bit. It's just this weird <laughs> moment. It's like two seconds. It's just, he walks over and Dr. Horrible's on the ground and he just goes, ah! and then it just cuts off like this operatic music and it's just done. And he's like, all right, I'm going to kill you now with your own death ray. Mm-hmm. Such a piece of shit. What did you think about how he ended Captain Hammer where he felt pain? <laughs> Um, it was like a little interesting thing of like, oh, clearly this is a character who's never felt pain. Uh, he had this, you know, guard up, this immunity, and as soon as he felt it, it just, like, completely broke his psyche. It's like, yeah, I guess this is how you would beat someone like that. Like, I know Superman has his, like, weakness of the kryptonite, but this guy clearly doesn't. Yeah, I, I, I was saying this jokingly, but I mean this genuinely. In the matter of the three parts and 40 minutes, this does a better job deconstructing why you should not have a Superman in your universe, mm. being this beacon that people attach themselves to than any of those uh, Zack Snyder Superman films. <laughs> what do you think about it? I mean, you've seen those. Yeah, I've seen two of the same two as you, though, mm-hmm. I guess. Yes. <laughs> um, no, you, no, no, no. You've seen the director's cut of one of those, which is longer and uh, boring. You know? uh, well, I, <laughs> I, I, I can't comment on it being more boring, but I it's certainly <laughs> don't remember anything about it. Oh, <laughs> uh, but... um. Yeah, this is an interesting little project that this was made. I find it a fascinating relic of the past, Dr. Horrible. Uh, We have obviously the conversation to be brought up. Joss Whedon created this. We've mentioned it before. We are... It's always a tug of war with death of the author, isn't it? Because in case you don't know, Joss Whedon has been dragged through the coals and accused of many, many bad uh, things over his career. Very misogynistic things. Uh maybe a bit physical physical altercations with actors and actresses, uh, fired an actress because she was pregnant, all these horrible things. Okay, he's, he's had a very tough time. Like most recently, the Justice League, when he did Justice League, yeah, that was already a dog move on his part. I don't want to go too heavy into it, but I, I, I'm happy that J- Zack Snyder got his director's cut. I'll never watch it, but on principle... A guy filmed pretty much most of the entire movie had to leave a project because of a very tragic reasoning. And then they got Joss Whedon, who made the Avengers, to just basically shit all over and redo a film. I think that's, on a moral level, reprehensible. But apparently he was very bad on that movie, too. The most recent thing of that was uh, apparently the reason why uh, uh, Wonder Woman didn't give a good performance in that movie was he's like, she couldn't understand anything I was saying. You know, English isn't her first language. And her response was, oh, no, I understood what he was saying. I don't know. I understood exactly what he was saying. She was in, yeah, Deep Rising. She knows what he's saying. Gal Gadot? She wasn't Deep Rising, right? No. <laughs> You're thinking of Fumka Jensen. I think in I, X-Men. I think we, it's because we talked about her in that episode. Yeah, maybe. But, uh, I think Sam brought her And up. then, obviously, he had some stuff, too, with the guy who played Cyborg. It was, it was, there's a whole can of worms. But 
that is a thing. Joss Whedon is this big figure in our when we grew up in our lives. Is obviously even if you didn't encounter his work, you know about Buffy. Yes. You know about his Avengers movies. You know if you haven't seen them, you at least know of Firefly or something like that. He was definitely a big figure and definitely shaped the landscape of what we see today with uh, with storytelling and, and structure. I mean, one of the things I find interesting, obviously, Death of the Author is easy to say, but it's actually harder to apply. Because we've talked about that. We say Death of the Author, but let's be honest, we've said this too. It's easy to say, oh, if I don't like the guy, then I'll apply Death of the Author. But then how many times do you not apply that to a piece of work that you like to also a person who creates it that you like? We talked about movies on this podcast where we talk about the person who created it and their ethos and how we attach it to this. It's it's a tricky thing because uh, I think about that when I watch this. There are going to be people who don't want to watch Dr. Horrible because... There's lots of those those disturbing things that we talked about in this, like the the incelly things. All these kind of things are things that Joss Whedon has done in real life. So it's like, is this actually him critiquing and commenting on that, or is this just naturally his thing in there? And it becomes this whole murky thing. But I wanted to raise that because there's going to be people who are thinking that when we're talking about like Joss Whedon's work, there's that element there. He's been critiqued on many things that are problematic in his scripts that turn up time and time again where you go this is no longer you just critiquing the problem but you're just doing the problem in your work as well i know you don't have a major attachment to him in in any way pretty much not at all but i wanted to comment on you said it you've watched some superhero movies you're not a huge fan of them but uh you've seen the avengers Mm -hmm. and this definitely has some of that vibe to it the humor yes uh Joss Whedon, the success the success of the Avengers has basically been the blueprint for how every one of those superhero movies are made. That kind of, we can't have a serious moment, we have to undercut it with a joke. And that's here, right? You have a, we kind of, and then no, we undercut it with a joke. But this is overtly like a comedy the whole thing. Yeah, yeah. as much as, you know, the, 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 the hammer's my penis thing wasn't, you know, the huge laugh for me, like, I, I could definitely see like, oh yeah, that's, that's, it fits with what the product yes, is. Yeah. Yes. But I wanted to get your kind of takes a little bit further on how you view Dr. Horrible being this little thing that existed before the guy who created Dr. Horrible kind of stamped the mold on what the real superhero products are. Like, what do you think about that? Isn't this like an interesting little anomaly to think about that? This little comedic spoof satire on what superhero things were is made by the guy who would now kind of cement what we have been enduring the last, like, ten years? Definitely way earlier in the episode when you were talking about how, oh man, this is the type of quality that you can get on an online thing. It was being undercut in my head, but like, yeah, but it's by the Avengers guy, by the guy (laughs) who already did Buffy, who, like, was super rich and had access to Neil Patrick Harris and and Fillion and all that. So, yeah, it is... I mentioned that was an outlying thing, like, like yeah. all those things as the context. Yeah, it's it, it is interesting though that it maybe I don't know how much of this would have influenced like internet content in general, but yeah, definitely as a stepping stone towards the Avengers, you know, this is something yeah. you'd have to mention. Yeah, I because it's only like four years before the Avengers, I believe. right? Yeah, right. I don't know how to feel about it because I'm not a huge fan of the Avengers that film. I've never been really. F- fun fine with it i'm not a huge lover of it 
But I, I, I feel this weird, weird rift with Doctor Horrible because the Avengers exists, where there's this guy who clearly understands what one can make fun of with the superhero things. There's this satirical nature. It's this understanding of the flaws and foibles and how can we tinker around and play with it, and then proceeds to mainstream those things in a way that has become absolutely intolerable for me. I'm not a hater of the MCU per se, but I am very tired. And so I feel weird about it in in, in retrospect. This still holds up as its own thing, of course. As I'm saying, this isn't a Dr. Horrible shit because he made the Avengers, but there is that there is that thing I, in my brain. I don't speaking of brains, I don't know what was going into mine, but until you just mentioned like earlier on in that thing about like, you know, this has a superhero, Avengers a superheroes. Somehow that just didn't connect in my head. Right? It's just like now it's like, oh, wait, yeah. Right? Yeah, this is interesting. Because this, this is very, again, outlier. It is Joss Whedon, rich guy, access to great mm-hmm. celebrities. It is pretty indie in tone. Yes. Compared to the big mainstream thing, which even though I had no attachment to it, I'm like, oh, apparently this Avengers thing is going to be a really big deal. Right? Yeah. Like I remember way back. Again, jumping back to something we mentioned earlier, Nostalgia Critic, he once reviewed the Avengers film that we did on Unappreciated Masterpieces, Mm -hmm. and he began with a joke of like, oh, yeah, it's the big-awaited Avengers film. And I was like, I have no idea what you're talking about, but okay. (laughs) And then when that film was actually made, the 2012 one, I'm like, oh, this is that thing Nostalgia Critic was talking about. Right. Apparently, this is a big deal. Right, right. But even though you and I don't engage in superhero media all that much, it is very invasive in our lives. A lot, a lot of the people that we know do engage in it quite heavily. And I'm not going to say it's just Joss Whedon. We have John Favreau, we have Kevin Feige, we have Zack Snyder, we have Christopher Nolan. There's all these people, of course. I'm, you know, but but he's a big part of it. He's a big part of how they're structured script-wise and tonally. So do you see where I'm having that struggle here where the guy who's in a way in part made the problem that i have with the current landscape of 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 movies and superhero genre was at one point able to kind of directly poke fun at it and say it's kind of silly and look at me have fun with it do you know what i mean it's just this thing where it's kind of i get frustrated where it's just like i wish you kind of didn't man (laughs) you know a lot of i i thought this about halfway through the episode at this point but it's coming back to me now It's very similar to what you were talking about with, going back to your previous choice, Mad Max, where, Mm -hmm. you know, that was also a film about a guy who was struggling not to reach a certain conclusion and then tragically led to that conclusion. And then also, as you say, the the franchise later shaped so much of Mm -hmm. post-apocalyptic Western media. And has made you tired. It's it's an interesting Is it worth it? Yeah. Is my question. And here's the difference, though. George Miller just made Mad Max movies, and that was it. Well, happy, happy feet. And no, no, what I mean is, <laughs> he just made those movies, yep. and then it's not like then he proceeded to make a mega blockbuster post-apocalypse movie that then defined the genre, not just genre, cinema landscape for a decade yeah, or more. It's not like he did that. He just made three movies over a good period of time that then inspired B-movies that you didn't have to watch and nobody has to talk to you about. Like, I, I can't escape the invasive nature of superhero movies, no matter how much I try. And it's not that, again, I don't 
have as much of a disdain for them as others. And I like them, and I would be far more engaged in watching them than you are, per se. That's not to say you hate them, but you just have no real interest in them. You go, oh, if someone makes me watch one, fine. But you're not edging up to watch the Daredevil TV show or in general, any of that. In general, I hope this has come across in, you know, the years doing the podcast, but if I hear a movie is good, I'm definitely going to be interested. Like, mm. when you were like, oh, Spider-Verse is a good movie, it's like, let's check it out. Yeah, let's and check it, it out. And it was great. Logan's a good movie. I would recommend that one too. Then I should watch Logan. Then you should yeah. watch Logan. Like, yeah. there's these things, but it is very much like... Uh, I guess uh, it's because I'm expecting it to be like, yeah, the thing you're tired of and yeah. the thing that I've seen. I'm like, oh, yeah, I don't really You want saw Black that. Panther and you were like, that's enough. <laughs> <laughs> I saw Black Panther because a person cancelled and said, oh, yeah. give my ticket to Bartek. And I was like, oh, free movie, I guess. Yeah, yeah, and, and, and you love it so much, <laughs> Black Panther. I was like, I, I don't get it. I don't get it. Uh, yeah, but uh, I don't know if there's much else to kind of dive into here. There's It's a very interesting project nonetheless. I, I feel like we've really interrogated it pretty well anything you want to touch upon any scenes or, or themes or, or outside things you want to talk about here um outside thing yes i want to talk a little bit about the commentary yes um uh, yes of course not sure how to approach this but let me just ask you like well what's have you listened to the commentary i didn't listen to it on this one but i have in the past mm-hmm. yes and do you like it uh, I thought it was interesting. Why? Why do you say this? Did you get a chance? You've listened to the whole thing, right? Yes, yes. Okay, and so okay, I'll just say it. I stopped after fourteen minutes. I uh, wasn't enjoying it. Really? <laughs> yeah. What happened, Barton? I walk us down your misery. <laughs> I wouldn't say I wouldn't say misery. The but, songs um, weren't as good. <laughs> No, the, the in songs... context, it's a musical commentary yes. for a musical, which I think is f- interesting. Yeah, that's why I wanted to watch it. And in fact, that was basically going to be my second viewing. Yes. Um, but then, you know, obviously I cancelled on that and I was just thinking about it. It's like, okay, now I have to watch it properly a second okay. time. What happened? Um, it's more about what didn't happen. Okay. So, obviously, I heard that it was a musical commentary, and I thought, that sounds like a really unique idea. Let's let's get into it. Um, and obviously, 14 minutes, I think it was exactly 14 minutes and two seconds, that was the entirety of the first act. Uh-huh. And she had just, uh, Felicia Day had just started, you know, the, oh, Nathan Fillion is so dreamy, looking in his mm. eyes song. And I was like, I've gone through this commentary all the way through the first act, and there has been... Like, no commentary at all. <laughs> it's just people singing, and between the singing, they're, like, you know, heightened personality mm-hmm. musical people. Like, they're, yeah. like, doing a real musical. And I'm like, <laughs> this is not what I want. The, 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 the whole first song is about, like, what commentaries are like. And I'm yeah. like, oh, yeah, yeah. And after this song, they'll- They'll do that. They'll, like, it's like, all right, that's the first song, guys. All right. Well, let, let's actually talk about it. And then, like, you know, little you know giggles back and forth talking about what's happening. Perhaps even use a song as a, like, yeah. use that in a version of a song. Like, when we shot this scene in a, yeah, like, I thought, in a like, songy I, way. Like, when I heard the premise, I'm like, oh, that doesn't sound like it would work. Like, they're, they're going to, like, improvise songs while talking about the movie. That mm. doesn't sound like it would work, but I'd like to see them try to do that. But, no, yeah. it was just full-on, like, I want to say orchestrated, but, like, full-on- Written songs. Written songs. There's, there's a set rhythm to it, and it's just like, 
okay, it's more songs by the people who did this thing, but it's not mm. a commentary. Yeah, I, I it's been a little while since I've listened, and I remember that being a vibe too of I wish that they played into the gimmick a little bit more of it mm. being like the songs are song versions of what you would hear in a commentary track for Dr. Horrible. Like if you had a real commentary track for Dr. Horrible that was just normal and you turn their things into songs. Yeah. But it is very much like... We the, had some fun ideas for some songs, and uh, the two be fun. like the two acknowledgements that happened in that whole first act was when um, Nathan Philly. It was the last song I heard all the way through. Was singing about I'm better than Neil. Yeah. He mentions like, oh, I jumped off of a moving vehicle while he's playing on his phone, and that was actually mm-hmm. happening while he was singing. I'm like, okay, that's that's close, cool. and like he's you know commenting on what's happening there, but like that's the closest it got. Yeah, he could play with it more, but hey, it was there for a bit of fun. They didn't need to give you it, but they tried. <laughs> they gave you something, but I, I understand. Look, I, def- I definitely applaud the effort, but it's not a commentary. Okay. Well, as far as I listen to. Like, do, do they stop at some point? I can't remember, but it's mainly songs. Like, I, one of my first thoughts after the first song was like, oh, maybe they just front-loaded, like, all the songs mm. at the beginning and then they do it for real. But I don't, <laughs> I don't know. I, I didn't get that far. Uh, well, that's it. Would you recommend this? Yeah, for sure. For sure. Um, again... For me, like two viewings was really what sold it for me. Mm. First viewing, still liked it, but I I was not prepared for a podcast on it. Yeah. Definitely after the second one, I'm like, okay, we're all good. I would say this is a very good time. Give it a watch. If you're at giving this to new people, what I would recommend, group environment, put it on at the start of a movie night. Mm. That's a nice vibe. Yeah. It's short, it's Little sweet, entree. it's a musical. If people aren't into musicals, they may not be into this. I don't mm. think this is going to win you oh, over, if, if but I think the music is good. I think the oh, songs yeah, yeah. are good. If, uh, if you like musicals, you know this is this will certainly please you. The songs are very good. I, yeah. I was, you know, singing, well, not singing along, but I was thinking about them mm. after watching the first time. Yeah, and so, yeah, I'm a fan of this. I recommend it. I recommended it for this, and I was glad to give it a revisit and have a look at it into mm. a little bit more of a depth but uh that is it the recommendation for next episode is uh listing people's choice mm-hmm. and i feel as if we keep going back to your uh is he your stepbrother half brother my stepbrother yes whose name is uh Maciek. I think I what is, I, what is I, I think if I'm incorrect, please forgive me. We've done bedazzled and we've Pink done Pink Floyd's The Wall. I think he recommended that. I think I think so, yeah. I saw that in our list. I want to do that because that's a musical. Mm-hmm. That one I do believe in my recollection has been a couple of years is all all singing, all songs, all music. This is It's is it more like Tommy? Yes. Yeah, that's that was the yes. vibe I got. That when I when we did Tommy, I said uh, if people like Pink Floyd's The Wall, you should like Tommy would be a good companion. I basically say these are good companion movies, mm-hmm. uh, and I may even watch them back to back. I don't know. I may be in that Ooh. mood. Um, uh, Pink Floyd's The Wall. Our review will no be nowhere near as good as Doug's review, but <laughs> hey, we will try, Doug. We'll try. Hey, nostalgia fun fact, nostalgia wall. critic. How about we watch your review? And steal jokes from your review and put them in our review. Not like you've ever done that with our show. Not at all. Not saying that. I'm not saying that. That's not what I'm saying. I'm not saying 
that at all. I'm not saying if you listen to our commentary track on I'll Be Home for Christmas and then watch his review on I'll Be Home for Christmas and that's 60% of the jokes in that are from us and I, and there was downloads from his... Whatever, I'm not saying any of that. That's just speculation. It's a theory. A game theory. <laughs> ah, now that's modern internet content. Should we actually watch his review? No, I don't think so. I think I would kill myself, if, honestly. <laughs> if you... Say that you're going to do it, I'll do it too. And vice versa. Mm-hmm. Vice versa. If uh, We're not promising that we're going to have uh, <laughs> that, but I think perhaps not. I don't know. Uh, you haven't seen this before, correct? I have not. So it may be better just for you to watch it on your own and then you make your terrible opinions and then make it into a musical of your own. But um, Guys, high school's not that bad. <laughs> the American education system. <laughs> That's it, people. You can find us on the social medias of Facebook and Twitter, Spit and Polish Presents. You can email us at spitandpolished at gmail.com. Yeah, you can give us your film recommendations and we'll add them to the list. We have a good list, but we could always use some more. So uh, let us know. Follow us on those socials. You can hit us up there, email, all of that. Give us a rating and review on whatever podcast hosting platform or site you use. That is greatly appreciated. Bartek, a pleasure talking to you, my dear good friend. Bartek, great pleasure. Love talking to you. Great to be back here again in person. I I, I know it's been a while we've been doing it, but I keep appreciating that we're here. Mm, it's true. We took a break, and I keep remembering like it was our longest we, break ever. Mm, yeah. And before we recorded, you kind of brought up like back in the days when we didn't record in person because the, the the hectic nature of life we're doing in the internet. I'm like, oh boy, I'm glad I'm not doing that currently. Mm. I say this now, and then well. We'll see how time goes. Next week, we'll be like, we're on the internet again, mm-hmm. and we're in different rooms. Yes, same to you, Ryan. And to our listening people, haha, April Fools, we didn't talk about a movie, but we still did a good job. Well, I don't want to say good job. I want to be wow. Movie, but, did no. you hear that? He pranked himself there, people. <laughs> I second-guessed myself while uh, revealing the April Fools joke. So you can't say, oh, you didn't do a movie because it was a joke. No, that's it. This whole episode was a joke. Check, please.